Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Anthony D'Alessandro. And this is a very special edition of the Deadline Podcast Hero Nation. It's the holiday season, and our gift to you is to celebrate a year of Hero Nation with a look back at some of our best interviews. Well, he calls it our best interviews. I call it our greatest hits. And look, there's going to be a lot more Hero Nation in 2022. This year is already ending on a high with the uber $600 million success of Spider-Man No Way Home. And there's going to be a lot more to talk about next year with Batman, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse, and Madness, Morbius, Thor, Love and Thunder, Black Adam, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and more. And of course, we have seen this weekend the opening of Matrix Resurrections. So with that, we're going to kick off with our very first guest on our very first show, the amazing executive producer and showrunner of The Walking Dead and going forward in more of the dead verse on AMC, the wonderful Angela Kang. Um, even on a staff with any story point that like maybe fans find um, polarizing. And a lot of times there's it's not even like cleanly polarized. Like it, it may feel like in... Um, on Twitter or whatever, that all the fans are leaning one way, but then it's like you do like audience research or whatever, and it will be more split than it appears. Um, but in the writer's room, it's a lot of really smart people who are arguing all day with each other. Like it's kind of what that boils down to. So for like every single point where maybe like- like deadline. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like for people who are like working on like this side of like writing things or like where there's pitching and whatever, there's always like, fights going like, well, I don't like this because of this. The fans are going to think that. Who cares what the fans think? No, that does matter. Like, but, I, you know, does that make sense for this character? No. Yes. Maybe. What if we do it like this? Like, that's all day, like what the writers do. And so there's never been like anything where really like we've gone afterwards, like, oh, well, fuck that. <laughs> that didn't go well. So we should just totally change what we're doing. Like, we're on a schedule where by the time things are airing, we're already like deep into the next story. So a lot of times like we might kind of course correct ourselves. Cause like maybe like as we see footage come in, we go like, oh, maybe we didn't, maybe like we're seeing something different in this than we intended or hoped for. So, you know, it really feels like organically the story wants to go that way. So there are times that we turn a story, but it's it's rarely in response to like audience reaction because in some ways the schedule doesn't even allow for that. Like, it's just, it's a different sort of a beast. But it is strange um, to occasionally have somebody like kind of come up to me like at the airport or, uh, at a restaurant in Georgia and things like that. And, and I know everybody's like very well-meaning. So it's, there's nobody that's been creepy or anything like that. Like at least in person, I have gotten weird stuff on social media that I don't love and yeah, yeah, we won't talk the about report, yeah. but, um, but you know, it's like, I think everybody's like very well-meaning, but sometimes I'm just like, Oh, I wasn't expecting to talk to anybody. Like I want to be in my introvert bubble today. So that's been just, I think, strange. Uh, I think it is very much a product of the particular time and place that we're all in in history and it'll probably change and that's fine too. You know, I'm just going to go with the flow. Next up, we have the executive producer of Marvel's animated series, What If? AC Bradley. They wanted to do an episode where like kind of, what would cause Thor to invade Earth and like kind of trash the planet? 
And when I met with Kevin, I went, I think the heart, we got to stay true to who these characters are. And Thor, in order to get him to like invade Earth, we're going to have to either saddle him with a lot of drama or we're going to have to make it an accident. Hmm. And I think it's more fun if it's an accident. <laughs> a drunken accident. Yeah. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> no, I, no, a part of it is I really like that because I will say this, and, and this is no criticism of the live action movies, but I've always felt that some of the vice of it, and this is, look, these are Disney products, so let's be honest, right? But they, 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 they go light on it. You know, yes, in, in Endgame, it's clear that someone has packed on some pounds from the booze, but it's also the pizza as well, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You guys are very clear about this. Like, I'm not saying there's a part two where he shows up at an AA meeting, but it's pretty clear. <laughs> uh, we figure he's that, you know, the Norse version of a young 20 something just wanting to let loose when their, his parents are not home and have a big party. Uh, In part Vegas. Of the, part of the impetus was knowing that Chris Hemsworth does have the comedy chops. Yeah. And it's like, we can give him a comedy episode and he would do what exactly what he did, which is run wild with it. I wanted to do Captain America meets West Wing more than anything. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I love- like, So Bucky's walking through and the lights are over top and he's like, we need to get this to Steve later, but I'm not sure yet. Yeah, I wanted the walk and talks. I wanted like the, the, the full Aaron Sorkin treatment of us. Are, is, is 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 Falcon the chief of staff or who's like I'm now I'm told I just want to cast this now I just think this is <laughs> <laughs> it took a long time for Daniel Craig's last movie as James Bond to finally hit the big screen but when No Time to Die did it came with a mega villain and we had him on the show Oscar winner Rami Malek everybody says that actors always try to get something from their latest movie they're like, I really want that jacket that I wore in the opening scene, or I want this. So what is there, if anything, that you were able to snag from No Time to Die? It's so funny, because, uh, you know, Daniel says this, not me, but it always makes me laugh, is that everyone thinks we're just a bunch of kleptomaniacs. Like, uh, we just want to- Because you are! For... No, no, I've never really kept much from set, to be honest. and. Oh, it's only now that I'm getting a little bit older that I want to have have these nostalgic moments. Uh, but I don't know where to put this stuff. I just, I don't know what you're gonna do. You frame it, do, do people come in, they see it. Does it, does it make them think something of you that you really don't want to put out there? I don't know. I rarely quote him except for a lyric, but I remember once reading a Sting, an article with Sting, and he always talked about he kept all his awards in the bathroom so everybody had to see them. <laughs> But I heard that you kept the teeth from Bohemian Rhapsody. I kept the teeth. And then, yeah, I had, I had a pair of them cast in gold. Because I thought, like, what's something Freddie would do? What's the most ostentatious thing I could do? Yeah. And, uh, it's very Freddie. Very Freddie. Andy Serkis took over the Venom franchise and takeover he did. He sent the movie to a half billion dollars at the global box office. Here's a look back at our conversation with him. When I think back to the first movie, I think universally the moment that, that people liked in that first movie was when, when Eddie Brock climbed into a, a lobster tank in a restaurant and <laughs> yes. cooled, cooled himself down and then ate a lobster. Now, in that moment, in that very moment, you have so many things going on. You have the true 
be, be, truly believable parasite that's making him hot and sweat, sweaty and going through an episode that makes him want to get into that. It's, it's a kind of sort of button, Buster Keaton-esque kind of slapstick moment. And, and then, it, it, but it's underpinned emotionally because, because of, you know, he's in a restaurant with Anne, the person that he, he loves. You know, it, it's- Played it's, by Michelle it's, Williams. Played by Michelle Williams, of course. And so he's, he's <coughs> there's so many uh, kind of things at play in that moment. And that was the thing that we wanted to take on into this next movie. This, this kind of delicious, uh, uh, kind of base level of dark characters or, you know, believable, emotional, dysfunctional characters. And everyone in this movie is pretty dysfunctional. And that with complicated backstories. Yeah, like I us. mean, isn't that the isn't that the basically the spine of Venom? The, the whole yep. Venom franchise is like, if you're not dysfunctional, you can't be here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I mean, and th and then these multiple love stories. You know, yeah. Eddie still loves Anne. Venom still loves Anne. Uh, and Venom and Eddie have a you know. That, I mean, yeah. in many ways, to me, that feels like that is the love story. I mean, no it disrespect is. to Michelle in that relationship, but but uh, for, it is. But but you know what I mean. But that's what it is. It is. It's. It, it is as if, I mean, this is the relationship that psychiatry talks about, right? With your super ego and your id fighting against each other for the way you will live your life. In this case, it's writ large. Absolutely, 100%. And so that, that to, to your point, you know, what we wanted to examine the most in this story was that relationship, was that, you know, Eddie is... You know, at the at the end of the first movie, he says, "You've got to live in my. If you're going to live in my body, you have to live by my rules." Basically, and 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 there, here we are now, two years down the line. They're living in a tiny apartment. They're on top of each other. Both of them want me time. Neither of them are getting it. It's a push and pull. They can't live with each other. Can't live without. You know, Eddie wants to Can sort I of go just, back to. Eddie, some I just sort of... want to say something. The, obviously, the film was supposed to come out in October 2020 and was delayed because of the pandemic. That element of it, to me, felt like clearly written beforehand, very much in sync with the, the COVID lockdown world many of us have had to live in. 100%. I mean, you know, families crammed into apartments, yeah. you know, it's, it's that absolutely speaks, speaks to that. It really, really does. I think people will relate to that. And, 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 uh, you know, especially having this kind of gigantic, kind of oversized. Uh, you know, I keep thinking of him as a, as a, as a sort of a to you know a toddler who's who's actually the the, the the truth teller and is saying, "Look, you, Eddie Brock, are a, a fake. You lie. You you're not honest to yourself. You have no ambition. You're you're not living life to your full potential." And 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 Eddie's going. Look, I want I want my life back. I want to do a bit of investigative journalism, investigative journalism, just because I can make a buck and I want I want the easy life and I want to sit on the couch and watch football, you know. And 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 it's just like we can be out there being the lethal protector, and you you are holding me back. You are literally holding me back. So there's this push and pull that's going on between them. Although they are, they know that they can't be apart, and they do love each other they do they recognize each other and they see each other and they are fully connected we've asked you about a venom an, another film whether or not you're on board for that we asked about this we've listed off your immensely impressive credits can we talk <laughs> batman for one second we do you know what i'd love to talk to you about batman I, I i've been expressly forbidden to talk about batman uh, on pain of death so um <laughs> what i can tell you is that because matt reeves is a very 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 beautiful human being and a very close friend of mine i can tell you that uh, i know that it's going to be i just think it's going to be an extraordinary movie because he's his kind of 
you know, his level of detail and kind of uh, the way he's gone into the tele- storytelling on this is, is, is just phenomenal. And, and uh, I mean, eventually when we all get to see it, which hopefully will be next year, uh, when well, it comes out in March next year, I think. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that, that's the hope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I do know, or, or, I, I, I think it's going to be incredible, but now, I can't say anything course, about the characters. Okay. But you of course play Alfred pivotal character in the Batman mythology. <laughs> you just, did you, did you reach out to Sir Michael Caine and say, Hey, you know, <laughs> How- I didn't. I've worked with I've worked with Michael before um, on on various other films, but no, I did not. Oh, interesting. Okay, so Anthony and I are going to argue for a lot about what was the best movie in terms of genre in terms of twenty twenty one. We're going to argue about who did this best, who did that, what, who broke through the pandemic wall, blah 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 blah. But we have no argument about who was the greatest Canadian on the big screen this year. Simu Liu from Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Take a listen to our conversation with this superstar right here. All right. So I want to start right away by saying greetings to a fellow Canadian. Yes. Um, always a big believer, let me just point out. Co-creator of Superman, Canadian. Wolverine, Canadian. James Cameron, Canadian. And now the next Marvel superstar, Canadian. Welcome. for be- Thank you for being with us. Justin Bieber, Canadian. Ryan nah, Reynolds, it doesn't Canadian. Count. The Weeknd, Canadian. We go on and on. My friend Neil are- Young Canadian, but we're not go- Neil Young's <laughs> you a go. superhero, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the McKenzie brothers. Wait Great. a second. Great. Sorry. Superhero? They're all superheroes in their own right, whether it's superheroes in real estate or superheroes in music. I mean, it's all it, I don't know. Well, let's talk know. about superheroes on the big screen coming coming uh in just in a couple of weeks. I was asked to audition for this movie, untitled Marvel Project. You know, they never reveal what it is. They give you scenes from a totally different movie. But I mean, we all knew what it was. We knew. Okay, can I just stop out. you there? What yes. was the other movie they gave you scenes from? Goodwill Hunting. Oh! <laughs> Goodwill Hunting. Which um, was also made in Toronto, I might add. It was shot, parts of it were shot in Toronto uh, on, on a univer- beautiful University of Toronto campus. Look, leave it to Canadians to always know what, like, who in the entertainment industry is Canadian, what movies were shot in Canada. I'm like a walking encyclopedia for that stuff, too. So I know all of my friends get so annoyed with me whenever I'm Okay, like, I have a question. I have a question for you. Trivia pursuit question. Go. Fourth largest Canadian city in the world. Fourth largest Canadian city in the world. Um, so you have Toronto, Vancouver. It's a trick question. Really? It's LA. Wow. Yeah. After Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, LA has more Canadians than any other city in Canada or any other city in the world. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But we will fly to Maple Leaf more a bit later. We want to hear about the story because it's a great story. And I think it's a story that really shows people that you can really, you know, like, don't let anything get in your way. I mean, yeah. I, uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd heard about this movie. I tweeted about it, as you probably know. I was like, hey, Marvel, let's talk. And, and of course, no part of me actually thought that I would, I was actually going to get the role. But, uh, but the audition did come. I uh, sent in a, a, you know, a self-tape with, with two scenes from Goodwill Hunting. And just kind of, you know, as you do when you're an actor, you, you know, who, when you send in self-tapes, you just kind of forget about it. Because if you let yourself get carried away by every single self-tape that you audition for, um, you're just going to set yourself up for a lifetime of disappointment. So, you know, you, you do the tape, you do the best job you possibly can, and then you send it off into the ether and you pretend like you never did it. And uh, that's exactly what I did. And I was very surprised when a few weeks later, uh, my manager called and was like, you got to get, you got to get your butt down to LA. Uh, you know, Destin, the director wants to meet you. 
Um, and, uh, you know, we want to do a callback. So uh, did a callback in LA, went great. I'm starting to feel the nerves now. The butterflies are building in my stomach because, you know, when you don't have a chance, it's like, it's like when you're dating, like you, if you feel like you don't have a shot in a million years, it, it almost like frees you. But then the moment you kind of feel like, oh my God, something might happen here. You start getting really nervous. And uh, that's exactly what happened with me. Um, I got invited to screen test in Brooklyn. So I flew there over the weekend. And uh, two days later uh, on a Tuesday evening uh, was, was, was called by Kevin Feige. And um, you know, who knows how many lives he's changed with a phone call, but uh, I was just the latest one. And uh, he called to tell me that, he, that I, had, I had gotten the role. And that four days later, I would be flying to San Diego to introduce myself in front of 8,000 yeah. fans at Comic-Con. And then, and then he said, this is so important that you do not tell anyone. Do not tell your parents. Do not tell your friends. This is critical that we keep this thing a total secret. I've said, no problem. Kevin, you can count on me. Trust me, I got this. Nobody will know. And then I hung up and then I immediately called my best friend. <laughs> can't, you, don't, you don't keep a secret like that. You just, you just can't. Here's a look back at our talk with Coleman Domingo, who does double duty on Fear the Walking Dead and during the late summer with Universal and MGM's Candyman. Coleman Domingo, a man whose resume is, is just slightly more prestigious than his home. <laughs> and if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go and look this up on Google. Look, Coleman Domingo Architectural Digest. And that is all we will say for our ad for Architectural <laughs> Digest today. Exactly. That's our only plug for them. Yeah. That's our only plug for that in your home. But but you know what I mean? So I wanted to get a sense from you is, is how how do you think that that, that works? Do, do, I always wonder, do you think the message gets across or the conversation even? I think it does. And I think that what I've been, you know, I've been watching every so often, I will go on Twitter and to see how it's, people are re reacting to the film just a little bit, because I think Twitter is also like going into the garbage can and you, you'll, you never know what you're going to get and something may offend you. It may be stinky, but so, but I go in there once in a while and I did in the past couple of days just to see how people were responding. And it's funny, overall people were like, oh, this is great. I love how we can talk, talk about these things and unpack this in this genre. And then there's every so often one or two comments of people saying, well, why do you have to, it has to promote an agenda in some way. I'm like, everything's promoting an agenda in some way. Everything, mm -hmm. every, you know, that film is an act of, you know, civil disobedience in some way, <laughs> you know, I think it is. And I think, but it's funny when people think that like people are trying to shove an agenda, like, no, we're just trying to talk about things that matter to us and things and, and serve it up in, the, in an entertainment, which is, that's what film is. That's what television is. You know, to, you know, like when we were talking about Fear the Walking Dead a second ago, where Fear the Walking Dead is basically just a family story. And it's just like, how do you come together when there's a common enemy? It's, it's they're always about larger themes. And hopefully, whether people want to just get a little entertainment, that's fine. If something seeps into the back of their mind and makes them think a little differently, that's the goal. A question, had you seen yeah. the original or, or what? At that time, I had not. Like I, 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 I wasn't a horror fan, which is odd to be on a show like. Man, you're in, you're in fear of the Walking Dead. I know, dude. I, I, just, I, I, I like stumbled into that. Ninety nine percent of the horror fans in the world look at. <laughs> really, I, I tell you that I stumbled into that show too. I feel like my whole career is like stumbling into things like, what is this? You know, but then then seeing how I can be useful in some way. So I, I wasn't a horror fan, but then once I was, once I was cast, I immediately watched it 
actually watched it in a um, in wardrobe because it was very hard to get a, it's very hard to get a copy of Candyman. Yeah, you know that? yeah. So yeah. I watched it on a is DVD. It not, is it not available on streamers? No, no. Uh, at I least I think it might have been a Polygram film. It's like yes. it was. I remember or a Gramercy film, and it was just yeah, it, yeah. It's hmm. kind you, of you, you. You can get it on Betamax or something like that. Exactly. You know? <laughs> so basically, I watched it on a on a DVD uh, in my wardrobe fitting. I sat on the couch and watched it because that was the only way I can get it. Okay, can and we ask was, you wardrobe fitting for what project? For Candyman, actually. Oh, oh, you were watching yeah. in real time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So by the time I was cast and I was at, and I went to my first wardrobe fitting, they were I was like, I need a copy of this, and it was really hard to get. So they, so I finally watched, and I thought it was like it was really cool. I just felt like it's really beautifully shot, and all the themes in it, just awesome. So thank you, as we always say every week, to listening to this episode of the Deadline Podcast, Hero Nation, this extra special Greatest Hits one. Thank you for listening to us all this year. Make sure I hit you up on this every time, but I mean it. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or our producer David will kill us so you never miss an episode. And we get to stay alive. And you can find all of our breaking news coverage of TV, film, business, and everything affecting our industry at Deadline.com. Hope you have a happy Christmas, a great new year. And Anthony and I both want to say a special thank you to our executive producer, Tom, and to our other executive producer, David. Thank you guys for making us sound like we know what we're talking about.